Chapter 18 of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones. Chapter 18 Dread. Harry spent the night at the place of Mr. John Gordon, and arose the next morning in a very discontented mood of mind. Nothing is more vexatious to an active and enterprising person than to be thrown into a state of entire idleness, and Harry, after lounging about for a short time in the morning, found his indignation increased by every moment of enforced absence from the scene of his daily labors and interest having always enjoyed substantially the privileges of a free man in the ability to regulate his time according to his own ideas to come and go to buy and sell and transact business unfettered by any felt control he was the more keenly alive to the degradation implied in his present position here i must skulk around said he to himself like a partridge in the bushes allowing everything to run at loose ends preparing the way for my being found fault with for a lazy fellow by and by and all for what because my younger brother chooses to come without right or reason to domineer over me to insult my wife and because the laws will protect him in it if he does it ah ah that's it they are all leagued together no matter how right I am, no matter how bad he is. Everybody will stand up for him and put me down, all because my grandmother was born in Africa and his grandmother was born in America. Confound it all, I won't stand it. Who knows what he'll be saying and doing to Lizette while I am gone? I'll go back and face him like a man. I'll keep straight about my business, and if he crosses me, let him take care. He hasn't got but one life any more than I have. Let him look out. And Harry jumped upon his horse and turned his head homeward. He struck into a circuitous path which led among that immense belt of swampy land to which the name of Dismal had been given. As he was riding along immersed in thought, the clatter of horses' feet was heard in front of him. A sudden turn of the road brought him directly facing to Tom Gordon and Mr. Jekyll, who had risen early and started off on horseback in order to reach a certain stage depot before the heat of the day. There was a momentary pause on both sides, when Tom Gordon, like one who knows his power and is determined to use it to the utmost, broke out scornfully, "'Stop, you damn nigger, and tell your master where you are going.' "'You are not my master,' said Harry, in words whose concentrated calmness conveyed more bitterness and wrath than could have been given by the most violent outburst. "'You damned whelp!' said Tom Gordon, striking him across the face twice with his whip. "'Take that and that! We'll see if I'm not your master. There now, help yourself, won't you? Isn't that a master's mark?' It had been the lifelong habit of Harry's position to repress every emotion of anger within himself, but at this moment his face wore a deadly and frightful expression. Still, there was something majestic and almost commanding in the attitude 
with which he reined back his horse and slowly lifted his hand to heaven. He tried to speak, but his voice was choked with repressed passion. At last he said, You may be sure, Mr. Gordon, this mark will never be forgotten. There are moments of high excitement, when all that is in a human being seems to be roused, and to concentrate itself in the eye and the voice. And in such moments, any man, apparently by virtue of his mere humanity, by the mere awfulness of the human soul that is in him, gains power to overawe those who in other hours scorn him. There was a minute's pause in which neither spoke, and Mr. Jekyll, who was a man of peace, took occasion to touch Tom's elbow and say, "'It seems to me this isn't worth while. We shall miss the stage.' And, as Harry had already turned his horse and was riding away, Tom Gordon turned his, shouting after him with a scornful laugh, "'I called on your wife before I came away this morning, and I liked her rather better the second time than I did the first. This last taunt flew like a Parthian arrow backward and struck into the soul of the bondman with even a keener power than the degrading blow. The sting of it seemed to rankle more bitterly as he rode along, till at last he dropped the reins on his horse's neck and burst into a transport of bitter cursing. Aha! It has come nigh thee, has it? It touches thee, and thou faintest, said a deep voice from the swampy thicket beside him. Harry stopped his horse and his imprecations. There was a crackling in the swamp and a movement among the copse of briars, and at last the speaker emerged and stood before Harry. He was a tall black man of magnificent stature and proportions. His skin was intensely black and polished like marble. A loose shirt of red flannel, which opened very wide at the breast, gave a display of a neck and chest of Herculean strength. The sleeves of the shirt, rolled up nearly to the shoulders, show the muscles of a gladiator. The head, which rose with an imperial air from the broad shoulders, was large and massive and developed with equal force both in the reflective and perceptive department. The perceptive organs jutted like dark ridges over the eyes, while that part of the head, which phrenologists attribute to the moral and intellectual sentiments, rose like an ample dome above them. The large eyes had a peculiar and solemn effect of unfathomable blackness and darkness, which is often a striking characteristic of the African eye. But there burned in them, like tongues of flame in a black pool of naphtha, a subtle and restless fire that betokened habitual excitement to the verge of insanity. If any organs were predominant in the head, they were those of ideality, wonder, veneration, and firmness. And the whole combination was such as might have formed one of the wild old warrior prophets of the heroic ages. He wore a fantastic sort of turban, apparently of an old scarlet shawl, which added to the outlandish effect of his appearance. His nether garments of coarse negro cloth were girded around the waist by a strip of scarlet flannel, in which was thrust a bowie knife and hatchet. Over one shoulder he carried a rifle, and a shot pouch was suspended to his belt, 
a rude game-bag hung upon his arm wild and startling as the apparition might have been it appeared to be no stranger to harry for after the first movement of surprise he said in a tone of familiar recognition in which there was blended somewhat of awe and respect ah it is you then dread i didn't know that you were hearing me have i not heard said the speaker raising his arm and his eyes gleaming with wild excitement how long wilt thou halt between two opinions did not moses refuse to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter how long wilt thou cast in thy lot with the oppressors of israel who say unto thee bow down that we may walk over thee shall not the red sea be divided yea saith the lord it shall dread i know what you mean said harry trembling with excitement yea thou dost said the figure yea thou dost hast thou not eaten the fat and drunk the sweet with the oppressor and hid thine eyes from the oppression of thy people have not our wives been for a prey and thou hast not regarded hast not our cheek been given to the smiter have we not been counted as sheep for the slaughter but thou sayest lo i knew it not and didst hide thine eyes therefore the curse of meroz is upon thee saith the lord and thou shalt bow down to the oppressor and his rod shall be upon thee and thy wife shall be for a prey don't talk that way don't said harry striking out his hands with a frantic gesture as if to push back the words you are raising the very devil in me look here harry said the other dropping from the high tone he had at first used to that of common conversation and speaking in bitter irony did your master strike you it's sweet to kiss the rod isn't it bend your neck and ask to be struck again won't you be meek and lowly that's the religion for you you are a slave and you wear broadcloth and sleep soft by and by he will give you a fip to buy salve for those cuts don't fret about your wife women always like the master better than the slave why shouldn't they when a man licks his master's foot the wife scorns him serves him right take it meekly my boy servants obey your masters take your master's old coats take your wife when he's done with her and bless god that brought you under the light of the gospel go you are a slave but as for me he said throwing up his head and throwing back his shoulders with a deep inspiration i am a free man free by this holding out his rifle free by the lord of hosts that numbereth the stars and calleth them forth by their names go home that's all i have to say to you you sleep in a curtained bed i sleep on the ground in the swamps you eat the fat of the land i have what ravens bring me but no man whips me no man touches my wife no man says to me why do you so go you are a slave i am free and with one athletic bound he sprang into the thicket and was gone the effect of this address on the already excited mind of the bondman may be better conceived than described he ground his teeth and clenched his hands stop he cried dread i will 
I will. I'll do as you tell me. I will not be a slave. A scornful laugh was the only reply, and the sound of crackling footsteps retreated rapidly. He who retreated stuck up in a clear, loud voice, one of those peculiar melodies in which vigor and spirit are blended with a wild, inexpressible mournfulness. The voice was one of a singular and indescribable quality of tone. It was heavy as the sub-bass of an organ and of a velvety softness, and yet it seemed to pierce the air with a keen, dividing force, which is generally characteristic of voices of much less volume. The words were the commencement of a wild camp-meeting hymn, much in vogue in those parts. Brethren, don't you hear the sound? The martial trumpet now is blowing. Men in order listing round, and soldiers to the standard flowing. There was a wild, exultant fullness of liberty that rolled in the note and to Harry's excited ear there seemed in it a fierce challenge of contempt to his imbecility, and his soul at that moment seemed to be rent asunder with a pang such as only those can know who have felt what it is to be a slave. There was an uprising within him, vague, tumultuous, overpowering, dim instincts, heroic aspirations, the will to do, the soul to dare, and then, in a moment there followed the picture of all society leagued against him, the hopeless impossibility of any outlet to what was burning within him. The waters of a nature naturally rally noble, pent up, and without outlet, rolled back upon his heart with a suffocating force, and in his hasty anguish he cursed the day of his birth. The spasm of his emotion was interrupted by the sudden appearance of Milly, coming along the path. "'Why, bless you, Milly,' said Harry, in sudden surprise. "'Where are you going?' "'Oh, bless you, honey child. I's gwine on to take the stage. They wanted to get up the wagon for me. But bless you,' says I, "'what you suppose the Lord gin us legs for? I never wants no critters to tug me around when I can walk myself. And then, honey,' It's so pleasant-like to be a-walkin' along in the bush here in the morning. Pears like the voice of the Lord is a-walkin' among the trees. But bless you, child, honey, what's the matter with your face? It's Tom Gordon, damn him, said Harry. Don't talk that away, child, said Milly, using the freedom with Harry which her years and weight of character had gradually secured for her among the members of the plantation. I will talk that way. Why shouldn't I? I'm not going to be good any longer. Why, twon't help the matter to be bad, will it, Harry? Cause you hate Tom Gordon. Does you want to act just like him? No, said Harry. I won't be like him. But I'll have my revenge. Old Dredd has been talking to me again this morning. He always did stir me up so that I could hardly live. And I won't stand it any longer. Child, said Milly, you take care. Keep clear on him. He's in the wilderness of Sinai. He is with it the blackness and darkness and tempest. He had come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Oh, oh, honey, there's a blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Jerusalem above is free, is free, honey. So don't you mind now what happens in this year time. Ah, uh, ah, uh, Aunt Milly, 
This may do well enough for old women like you, but stand opposite to a young fellow like me, with good strong arms and a pair of doubled fists, and a body and soul just as full of light as they can be, it don't answer to go to telling about a heavenly Jerusalem. We want something here, and we'll have it too. How do you know there is any heaven, anyhow? Know it? said Milly, her eye kindling and striking her staff on the ground. Know it? I knows it by the hankering after it. I got in here, giving her broad chest a blow which made it resound like a barrel. The Lord knowed what he was about when he made us. When he made babies rootin' around with their poor little mouths open, he made milk and the mammies for em too. Child, we's nothing but great babies, but ain't got our eyes opened, rootin' round and round, but the father'll feed us yet. He will so. He's a long time about it, said Harry sullenly. Well, child, ain't it a long time for your corn sprouts, a long time for it gets into the ears? But you plant for all that. What's that to me, what I is here? Shan't I reign with the Lord Jesus? I don't know, said Harry. Well, honey, I does. Just so sure as I'm standing on this year ground, I knows in a few years I shall be reigning with the Lord Jesus and casting my crown at his feet. That's what I knows. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it unto me, but the spirit of the Father. It's no odds to me what I does here. Every road leads straight to glory, and the glory ain't got no end to it. And Milly uplifted her voice into a favorite stave. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright and shining like the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Child, she says to him solemnly, I ain't no fool. Do you suppose that I thinks folks has any business to be sitting on their chairs all their life long and working me and living on my money? Why, I knows they had. Ain't it all wrong from first to last, the way they makes merchandise of us? Why, well, I know it is, but I still about it for the Lord's sake. I don't work for Miss Lou. I works for the Lord Jesus, and he is good pay. No mistake now, I tell you. Well, said Harry, a little shaken, but not convinced. After all, there isn't much use in trying to do any other way. But you're lucky in feeling so, Aunt Millie, but I can't. Well, child, anyway, don't you do nothing rash, and don't you hear him. That air way out is through seas of blood. Why, child, would you turn against Miss Nina? Child, if they get a going, they won't spare nobody. Don't you start up that air, tiger, cause I tell you, you can't chain him if you do. Yes, said Harry, I see it's all madness perfect madness. There's no use thinking, no use talking. Well, good morning, Aunt Millie. Peace go with you. And the young man started his horse and was soon out of sight. End of chapter 18, Dread.